Welcome to Anatara Medicine Podcast. Uh, today I'm your host, Dr. Muhammad Mansoor. I'm a naturopathic doctor. Uh, we have a very special guest today uh, in the field of complex chronic illness, specifically in the field of drainage and lymphatic drainage. I feel like it's an often overlooked topic uh, when treating complex chronic illness, and that can range from Lyme, Bartonella, biotoxin illness, mold, mycotoxin illness, um, mast cell activation syndrome, dysautonomia. Um, it's a wide spectrum. Some in the field call it MSIDS or multiple systemic infectious disease syndrome. Uh, it goes by many names and many hats. Uh, many pathogens are involved and Today in the in the pandemic area of COVID, even post-COVID syndrome, long hauler syndrome falls into this uh, category of people we may be able to help. And I think we have one of the most uh, cutting edge top experts in the field. Dr. Ginger Nash is here. She I like to call her one of my personal mentors. Uh, she was one of my professors back in school, in naturopathic medical school. Um, and she's one of the pioneers in this field of drainage. Uh, her work focuses on healthy elimination as a foundation for immune hormonal nervous system health. Um, and that elimination, of course, today is going to be the focus of our talk through drainage and how to improve lymphatics and open up your channels of elimination. Um, she graduated from the National College of Naturopathic Medicine, which is now known as NUNM in Portland, Oregon. Um, and she's maintaining an active medical practice, seeing thousands of patients uh, addressing complex chronic illness in the field of women's health in particular and in chronic immune dysfunction. Um, she's been in practice for over 15 years now, I could say. Um, 23, 23 tw years. Whoa, 23. Wow, that's even that's more. Longer than 15. Okay. Um, so over 15 and definitely more than 20. And uh, she's been um, dedicated to uh, naturopathic medicine and promoting this field and advancing this field. Um, and I feel that one of the most exciting things that are coming up is she's going to be offering a course in lymphatic drainage that's going to be upcoming, hopefully in the early months of 2023, which I'm very excited for. Um, and I'd like, you know, Dr. Nash, you can take it away and maybe give us a little bit of background on what lymphatic drainage is and how you got into it. Yeah. So, um, you know, my, my work with drainage really encompasses, um, the whole body, all the organ systems. So lymphatics is something that, um, as you already mentioned, that has been overlooked quite a bit in mainstream medicine. Um, but really any uh, organ system of the body, any tissue, any cell can be um, improved. The function can be improved by helping the body eliminate effectively and, you know, working with these concepts of homotoxicology and post-infectious um, syndrome and uh, drainage, for lack of a better shorthand. That's kind of what we call it is just drainage. But um a lot nicer in French drainage. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, one of my main teachers was Dr. Gerard Gagnon. He was a French medical doctor and homeopath. 
Um, and I began studying with him, ironically, the summer after I graduated from NCNM, which was 1998. So as I was studying for boards, I was also having my eyes really opened to a different way to uh, use uh, some of the modalities that we had learned about in school. Um, I come from a history of medicine background. So I was always interested in the way different cultures, different periods of time um, had understood the body and its complexity. And I understood that diagnoses were really just ways to try to organize and understand the magnificent complexity of the human body and human physiology. So I was always interested in sort of these gray areas of like, well, what, it, what does make a disease? You know, what makes health? What makes disease? And how do different peoples throughout time and across the globe understand the way the body functions, you know, differently? So um, that kind of led me sort of naturally into a curiosity about energetic medicine and why I didn't really want to go to traditional medical school, mm-hmm. but I was more interested in a holistic philosophy and looking at the body in ways that weren't necessarily explained with purely mechanistic terms. Um, so that summer, a friend of mine uh, convinced me to fly to New York, even though I was broke as a joke at the time, um, living in Portland, Oregon, as we all were during that all school. Us. I hear you. <laughs> I drove a truck that I bought off a friend for $200. Nice, <laughs> so. nice. I got mine on Craigslist, so I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I flew to New York, and um, Dr. Gagneau really put things immediately into a framework that just was like, wow, yes, this is where I'm coming from. And he would talk about it sometimes as a difference between a unicist and a pluralist. And the unicist sort of way of looking at things was kind of how we were taught homeopathy and sometimes referred to as constitutional or um, um, classical, classical, thank you, classical homeopathy, homeopathy, where you just use one single substance that addresses all the different aspects of the being and aspects of physiology. And that never really made a whole lot of sense to me. I think the way I think is more in the pluralistic line. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I recognize so quickly, right? And especially now, 23 years after I'm out of school and, you know, every year we we get more complex disease, we have more exposures, we have more pathogens, you know, this pandemic is obviously the most world famous, but there's been other pandemics and they're coming with more frequency. The body is exposed to far more toxins in the environment, et cetera, et cetera. So people aren't getting sick from just one thing. And therefore, I believe our approach in getting people well really needs to encompass a lot of different types of modalities. And so the type of homeopathy that I learned from Dr. Gagnon was really a French system, a pluralistic system, where you use what I call complex homeopathics. So it's not just taking all the homeopathic remedies that would cover, say, headaches, of which there are hundreds, and throwing them all into one formula and hoping that you get the right remedy. It's really looking at using the concept of homeopathy, which is 
an energetic concept of dilution and potentization of these substances to um, help address organ system imbalances. So using things like plants and minerals and metals and potentially isopathics, and we can definitely get into that because I'm using a lot of low-dose immunotherapy in my practice now, which is basically uh, almost like an isopathic approach. Well, it is an isopathic approach. Um, so yeah, so it just made a lot of sense that there needed to be a more, in my opinion, complex approach to helping complex illness, right? And I know you get this too. I mean, I've supervised you way back in the day and yeah. what you're doing. And I'm aware of what you're doing now. And you know that, you know, it's not, there's no silver bullet. There's no. No, but, but I feel like what you're explaining is almost like the glue. It's almost like there's this missing link in terms of therapies that are commonly used now, even IV therapy. Um, and ozone and other of the more high impact therapies that people are gravitating towards, there seems to be a missing link in why those therapies don't always give the best return. I think that's why you're such an important expert in the field to discuss why this is happening, what makes your approach in drainage different. Um, there are a lot of people using different companies for you know homeopathic drainage. I feel there are some that are more cookie cutter. They kind of just give everybody the same stuff and hope that it sticks. You seem to have a more personalized approach to this, and you've hinted at low-dose immunotherapy as well. Um, what makes your approach different in terms of other things that are out there? You know, there's companies like Desbio, Picana. There's a lot of people doing drainage. Bunda, Physica, yeah. And I've exposed, I've, I mean, I taught for Soroyal for over a dozen years. So I taught the undenumbered system um, for many years. I'm really comfortable using that system. I I switched to using um, more of the Physica Energetics product line. Um, they have more of a focus on the extracellular matrix, the mesenchyme and the lymphatic. So we can talk more about that for sure. And I, I will get back to that. Um, but yeah, I, I, I've also, you know, I pick and choose and I'm not beholden to any one system. And I've actually found that for certain complaints and for certain issues, different remedies from different companies work best, mm -hmm. um, which is nice. So that gives me kind of a facile approach to, you know, picking and choosing what system, but that takes a lot of time and effort. And I think there are ways that you can you know, really, if you get the overall philosophy and get what we're trying to do, um, then you can really use any system more effectively, um, not even just, you know, drainage, but just the concepts of what I'm talking about, which really comes out of homotoxicology and some of the European work with Dr. Reckowig and other people um, that really like takes into consideration the way the body is eliminating. And that's the whole science of amuncturology. There's three main organs of um, amuncturies that are called the primary amuncturies, the liver, um, which dumps into the gut, the lungs and the kidney. So, you know, first and foremost, we want to think about um, helping the body's normal, natural physiology work optimally. 
before we come in with some of those more, if you will, aggressive treatment modalities, like you're talking about, like, yes, things like ozone can be incredibly beneficial, but if you've got a system that isn't eliminating or you're not draining properly, you can sometimes make matters worse by giving the patient an aggravation. Um, and so for me, it really is a foundation that needs to be in place and an understanding of how the body eliminates um, is really central to making these therapies effective and making, you know, addressing chronic disease effectively. I feel like you're tying in beautifully with my question flow, because my next question is, when is the best time to consider lymphatic drainage support? What are the most striking indications when a patient walks in through your door like, oh, this patient needs lymphatic drainage ASAP? Yeah, I mean, sometimes it's a huge red flag, like the patient has lymphedema or lymphatic swelling, or they've got chronic sore throats or chronic lymph nodes in the neck or the groin or the axilla. I mean, certainly the breast tissue is heavily uh, lymphatized, just made up a word there. Nice. Um, so, <laughs> so, you know, anytime there's a breast health concern, um, you want to be addressing the lymph, but, you know, sometimes those are the more dramatic examples, um, Mohammed. And really, I mean, I use lymphatic support in almost every uh, situation that walks through my door. And I find that, you know, um, patients that don't necessarily know that they have a lymphatic issue. Once you start talking about what it's actually doing and what it does, um, then they the light bulbs start to go on. So let's just back up a little bit for people that might be listening that had no idea why the lymphatic system is so important. So um, first of all, it's a it's a circulatory system separate from the blood, but it is a circulatory system, but it has no central uh, pump like like the heart does, you know, for the blood and circulatory blood circulatory system. So uh, it requires these um, either muscular contractions. So activity and exercise is one of the best ways to keep your lymph flowing. Um, but also there are some subtle intrinsic uh, uh, pumping action in the lymphatics, but it's very subtle. Um, and what it does is it it's located superficially underneath the skin and it really permeates through uh, what is called the extracellular matrix or the interstitium, which is sort of the ground substance in between all the cells. So it's outside of the organs and it's even outside of the cells of organs and tissues, but it plays a huge role in picking up waste products from all these tissues and moving them through the body and dumping into the gut and, and then being eliminated. So it plays a huge role in waste management, but it also is the central circulatory system that moves all of our immune immunoglobulins and uh, immune cells around. So it plays a huge role in immunity. And sometimes, you know, you've already mentioned, and I've already mentioned post-infectious syndromes, whether it be viral, uh, whether it's COVID or other coronaviruses or other viruses like Epstein-Barr and other herpes viruses, mm -hmm. um, bacterial like Lyme and all the co-infections, Bartonella, Ehrlichia, all of those things, um, or even, you know, metals and biotoxins and mold sensitivity, all of that has to be um, interfaced with the lymphatic system because it, it's what triggers our immune response. So 
if a person has had an infection, say, um, that can put an extra demand on the lymph. So you can end up with a sluggish lymphatic system because of a, uh, an infectious, a prior infectious state. And then conversely, if you have a sluggish lymphatic system, if you're sedentary, if you're not exercising, if you're not moving your lymph, if that just happens to be a weak spot in your system, you are more susceptible to infections because you're not able to move those uh, immunoglobulins around and immune cells to, to fight off infection. So it really is central in terms of eliminations, detoxification, and immune identity. And, and just to clarify for those in the audience um, that may not have a medical background, immunoglobulins meaning antibodies. So we're talking exactly antibodies to everything from past infections, from even from vaccination, from um, you know any any type of immune stressor. Really, yeah, this is why you get swollen lymph nodes when you have an infection because those nodes, those little sponges along the vessels, um, are in active mode of producing antibodies and fighting off. Um, you know, the infectious process and getting your immune system into gear so that you can eliminate whatever pathogen. And of course, people listening that, you know, have uh, had or are concerned about cancer, that's outside of the topic of our conversation. But, um, you know, obviously cancer cells move through the lymphatic system. And this is why the nodes are tested and lymph nodes can actually kill cancer cells. So a healthy functioning lymphatic system is also important in terms of cancer prevention or cancer treatment. And this is, you know, obvious in terms of staging or for anybody that's had, had cancer. That's so critical. I feel like it makes so much more sense the way you describe it for even patients who are like getting um, boosters, getting vaccination, they're getting Sometimes there is lymphedema. There lymph is lymph arm, yeah. Yeah, lymph arm. lymph arm. Yeah, I've seen totally. that in multiple patients after multiple boosters or vaccinations, and they're worried that it's something bad, but it's actually part of the normal uh, immune response per se. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, it's only really problematic if it lasts a long time, or if the body's, you know, uh, ability to re-establish balance and homeostasis isn't met in a reasonable amount of time. And that's really the case for any kind of infection, right? I feel like, you know, this is such a huge topic and it can be a little bit daunting to, to kind of cover everything, but maybe it, it might help to discuss some of the things that don't seem to be effective in terms of detox. So there are people who talk about detox and then there are others who are starting to get in line with your wave of thinking they call it pre-tox. So yeah. this is kind of the step so, before that. Yeah, the, I think, I mean, how I've talked about it a lot in the past and think is just a really worthwhile thing to emphasize is that there is a distinction between what I'm talking about in terms of drainage and helping eliminations and detoxification practices. So drainage is a um, way to help support the natural physiological healthy functioning of the organism. Um, so that would include, of course, supporting the intestinal tract and making sure the microbiome is in good shape, um, you know, supporting the lungs. And there's various things we can talk about at the end if you want some more actionable steps and 
supporting the kidneys, um, supporting the skin, which is another organ of elimination, supporting all the mucosal membranes, which are the secondary organs of elimination in the body. Whereas detoxification is more like a, um, it's a more aggressive approach in terms of pushing the detox pathways in the liver. So it's like giving high dose nutrients or IV nutrients or doing like, um, you know, major herbal remedies to really try to get the body to more forcefully um, push those detox pathways. Yeah, like glutathione, and, NAC, Yeah, most people ALA. don't really have like, you know, yes, there are the genetic pictures that we can look at with all the cytochrome P450 pathways and SNPs that can occur in people's ability to detox. And that can be helpful. But I think what's a lot more helpful and a lot more foundational is just to uh, naturally help the body eliminate more effectively through a number of various things, not just taking supplements. Um, and then you might, you know, find that a more detoxification heavy protocol might be in order, but you're not going to get the kind of aggravation that you might get with some patients if you're just what I call translocating toxins from one part of the body to another. If you're just like pushing things in deeper or moving it into the lymphatic system without the ability to properly eliminate it, or if, you know, if the person's constipated or if their microbiome is hypersensitive to making inflammatory cytokines, or if their lungs are too weak to fully expire or their kidneys are weak or, you know, what have you, there's all, or their skin, um, you know, you can get a person, this is why you get rashes. This is why you get extreme fatigue and headaches and um, a worsening of any of the symptoms that they may have been trying to address in the first place. And that all can be yeah. stimulated pretty, pretty easily in the kinds of hypersensitive patients that get the diagnoses of MCAS or, you know, some of these chronic inflammatory yeah. immune mediated conditions. Yeah. So chronic inflammatory response syndrome, SIRS, that could be from mycotoxin or biotoxin illness, which Schumacher promoted. Um, but there's a spectrum to this and it may not fall into any one of these labels. Um, Absolutely. I feel like it, it, it's, it's hard diagnostically and to communicate to others when you see someone, let's say, who has impaired detoxification, who may not respond well to things like glutathione, NAC, some of the things that a lot of people promote that are really good for your liver. Um, but there is this concept that seems to be emergent now in the field of complex chronic illness of slow excretors, people who have impaired detoxification ability. And what you were suggesting, which I find intriguing, is it's not just genetic. It's not just the SNPs. It's not just mutations. It's something else that may not be. It could be epigenetic. It could be something else that's related. Yeah, it could be just purely yeah. body burden. It could be uh, liver stagnation from the Chinese medicine perspective. It could be um, a dysregulated immune system or dysregulated nervous system, which is so often tied uh, so closely together. Um, and this is why, you know, in my purview, it's not that people have chronic infections or persistent infections. 
they've just got a signature, a pattern that's locked into the immune system, the nervous system, and sometimes the hormonal system um, that makes them unable to um, respond appropriately to things in the environment or foods that are totally benign. Like I tell people all the time, it's not the food, it's your reaction to the food. There's nothing wrong with a parsnip, right? Like it's not that a parsnip is a problem, but you can react to anything if you've got a dysregulated immune system or nervous system. And that's why the drainage remedies and the low-dose immunotherapy um, and, you know, basic helping support eliminations. And by this, I mean, you know, yes, like things like exercise and rebounding and moving the body, um, but also, you know, infrared sauna for people that, um, you know, and starting out really gently, I used therapeutic baths with various essential oils and Epsom salts and hydrogen peroxide. Um, I'll use uh, certain plasters, um, like a mustard plaster for the lungs. I'll use castor oil poultices. Um, you know, there are all kinds of things. I just actually spoke to a very, very sensitive patient um, a couple of days ago who was having um, what she believed was a reaction to the alcohol content in some of the complex homeopathics. And even though it's the ones that I use are made from beet sugar, it's totally benign. And it's a very, very minimal dose. It's like what you would get from a ripe banana, <laughs> you know, so it's really, really, but you know, some people are that sensitive. So um, I suggested, and I've done this in the past too, but it's been a while to put it in just the crook of her arm, to put it in her elbow and let the remedies go in through the skin. So, you know, it's, it's as you said, it's a spectrum, mm -hmm. but really the idea is to harness the body's innate ability to um, eliminate. And so the lymphatics, the amunctories, the secondary amunctories, all those things have to be working optimally before I think you, and use some of these more, um, you know, intense therapies with good results. That's my patient population. I know that there's lots of other people that, you know, practice differently, but the people that have found me and the people that I work with um, do better with a much more gentle initial approach. The other thing that can be problematic is uh, the use of, you know, multiple pharmaceuticals. I mean, polypharmacy can be extremely um, difficult for the body to understand how to manage all of those drugs and eliminate the, the byproducts of those as well. So, you know, that, that's a lot of information for a, a body to, to do all, all at once. So it sounds like your, your order of priorities to open up the amunctories, right? Opening up the, the modes of elimination, and then you start, you know, going, what, what would be like the next step after that? The next that? thing would be to really go into some of the root causes. So identifying for a person, whether it is, you know, a mold sensitivity and exposure that that's really driving a lot of their symptoms, whether it's a yeast sensitivity, that's a huge one. Everyone's got yeast in their body. Everyone's got candida, but some people are extraordinarily sensitive to it. And so you can do all the killing of yeast that you want. I have patients who've been on Diflucan or Nystatin for months and months and months at a time. And the minute they stop, they're back to 
itching and brain fog and fatigue and muscle aches and all of this stuff. So it's the yeast sensitivity. So the antifungals are just sort of keeping the load down. But the minute it comes back up, you know, the minute the body has to try to do that on its own, you get symptoms. So that's a that's an immune and a nervous system reaction. So after the amunctories are addressed and hopefully the body is eliminating more effectively and you're working on specific organ systems with specific drainage remedies, <laughs> excuse me, then you start looking at, is this person um, affected by a Lyme signature, uh, a mycotoxin signature, um, a post-viral signature, which of course we're seeing more and more of because millions and millions of people have now been infected with a new novel virus, myself included. Um, so, you know, you have to look at which system is um, being affected by which type of pant, uh, pathogen. And this is where low-dose immunotherapy has really, really come into handy for me um, because I think of that as more of the second phase, like the root cause, more of a targeted um, approach. And for those that don't know what I'm talking about, um, low-dose immunotherapy, which was taught to me by Dr. Ty Vincent, who um, is, again, a pioneer in this field and has been doing this for a long time. And he's a medical doctor and uh, trained in allergy medicine. And that's really where this medicine, this modality comes out of. So it's akin, the most simple way to put it, it's akin to like an allergy shot to um, help the body uh, create more tolerance, but it works much differently because it's not blocking an immune response like an allergy shot does. It's way more, I like to say in the, in the realm of woo, <laughs> because it's so diluted. It's like diluted at homeopathic dilutions, um, but it's not technically homeopathic because it's not succussed. It's not potentized, which is another factor in homeopathic medicine, but it uses different antigens or allergens. So there's a food mix, there's an environmental mix, there's a mold mix for people who I believe have more of a broad allergic response to foods or sensitivity response to foods. Um, but then there's also specific antigens. So of course there's a lime mix, there's a yeast mix, um, there's a Epstein-Barr mix, there's a herpes simplex virus mix. So that's more going after some of the root causes. And I've done that with drainage remedies as well. Like, um, you know, some of the complex homeopathics that I'll use are going after certain viruses. Um, I love um, Byron White has herbals, but they're so, you, the doses are not working really through mm -hmm. traditional phytotherapy or herbal medicine. Um, it's definitely got a more energetic component. I also use um, Nutramedics herbs also have like a really, I think, strong energetic signature. Um, so it's not that I'm only using homeopathics, but what I'm doing is really trying to go after whatever specific antigen or pathogen um, might have caused some of the disturbance to these, um, you know, systems, the immune system or the hormonal system. And I've had patients, you know, long before I started using LDI even that, um, you know, like Lyme patients, I'm in Connecticut. So, you know, I'm at ground zero for Lyme. Um, and uh, I've had patients, women who've had premature ovarian failure, you know, in their late thirties and early forties from, from uh, what I believe was a Lyme or a Bartonella infection. Um, 
So, you know, it's really, uh, it's really uh, impossible to predict how these certain pathogens are going to affect any one individual system. Um, and this is the thing I kept telling people about COVID too, you know, because as naturopaths, I'm sure you as well have had a lot of patients who were um, really resistant to vaccinating and, um, you know, some of the sickest people that I've seen with COVID um, were people that were not vaccinated. So, you know, you really have to look at things, in my opinion, from a, um, a more comprehensive um, view rather than just, you know, people have gotten so polarized in terms of there's only one way to do things. So any individual, like you might've gotten COVID and not been vaccinated and sailed right through, um, or you, you may have had really, a really horrific time with it. And it, and it does matter your, you know, health status beforehand. But I think I, I've heard personally, a lot of um, naturopaths and some medical doctors and chiropractors and other practitioners of natural medicine sound really cavalier to me that, you know, that basically, um, you know, if you're in good health, it's not going to be a long-term problem or I have not seen that in my own practice at all. Yeah, I do agree. It's a spectrum, um, in terms of what, what your body burden was pre COVID and then, um, how that stacks on on itself and becomes yeah. a syndrome after COVID. Yeah. Um, I've seen, I found that some of the more common things that really healthy people who come in, even CrossFitters, people who are at the peak of their, um, health, why they're getting sustained symptoms. Often it seems to be related to toxins that were pre, you know, established in their body burden. So mycotoxins, mold related toxins, uh, heavy metals is another big topic. Um, specifically. Yeah. Arsenic. And then of course, anybody that had ever had what used to just be called chronic fatigue syndrome, you know, a reactivation of Epstein-Barr, we know that's an issue. We know that the virus itself causes neuroinflammation. So even people that, you know, may have had a good level of health, um, you know, if you've got uh, genetics or epigenetic settings that may predispose you toward neuroinflammatory conditions, that can absolutely be, I mean, one of the things I experienced was interesting was um, just insomnia. Like I'm not normally somebody that has insomnia, um, but that was the way COVID, you know, affected my system. So, you know, and I'm in very good health and I treated during my infection, of course, which I do think helps as well. I'm, I'm intrigued by this concept of the nervous system having such a regulatory effect, even above and beyond the lymphatic system, because it's almost like its own energetic system. It's literally moving electrons. It's moving yeah. ions. Um, yeah. and even, yeah, and, you know, neurotransmitters are basically hormones of the brain and we haven't mentioned, but, um, I know you wanted to get into, I haven't mentioned the lymphatics of the brain are called glymphatics because they help drain the toxins um, from around the glial cells that help um, support neural cells, um, lay down myelin. And a lot of this happens during sleep. So when you have insomnia, when you have problems getting a good amount of deep sleep, your detox capacity is compromised 
just from that. Mm-hmm. So you don't, you could have the perfect genetic for detoxification SNPs, but you could have, you know, a problem with, you know, getting into a deep sleep or low melatonin or high cortisol, which is going to throw off your melatonin. So there's so many different ways that a person's uh, nervous system can get dysregulated um, and detox can be impaired. And, and that, and you feel that the the drainage approach can also address this nervous system dysregulation or this hypersensitivity where, you know, I've had the same experience with patients who react to alcohol. They react to water. They react to, you know, you can't even put things on their skin. Um, And maybe the only thing they can tolerate is something like uh, ozone because it's so foreign to the body. It's not like something that's naturally produced that they actually do tolerate ozone at a low oh, dose. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, and so that's very interesting how, what, what would be your approach to kind of, you know, modulate that nervous system hyperactivity? Cause it could be from COVID the spike protein can do that. Um, but other pathogens do that too, especially Absolutely. Bartonella. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, it's really the same concept applied every to every part of the body, which is when you, when you help the body eliminate toxic waste products or not even toxic waste products, normal waste products of physiological function. Um, so you don't even have to be exposed to any of these toxins, biotoxins or, or heavy metals or any of it. If your body isn't eliminating the normal byproducts of metabolism, then you can get into you know, symptomatic territory as well. So if you help the body eliminate more effectively, you basically let the tissues on the cellular level, all the way up to the organ system level, function more effectively. You can help the body with its own homeostatic mechanisms, pH, um, temperature regulation, um, all of these homeostatic mechanisms that we have, all the hormone feedback loops, all the neurotransmitter feedback loops, all of that can be affected by just simply helping the body's cellular level um, function work more adequately. But then in terms of specifics for neuroinflammation and for the brain, um, I think that, yes, I always want to make sure that the synapses are firing correctly, the electrolytes are working correctly, the blood brain barrier isn't leaky, the -hmm. gut brain barrier, you know, there's all these like more gross things to do. But then also working with um, techniques like um, I really like Dr. Gupta's program. Um, I like it better than some of the other nervous system down training programs. I just find, um, I find his approach, um, for those of you that don't know, there's a number of different programs, um, that are called like desensitization, neuro retraining, that kind of thing. And it's based on the idea that your limbic system is kind of caught in a loop. Like there's a signature of hypersensitivity in the nervous system. And so it hyper reacts to everything. Um, and obviously that can be very closely related to trauma and traumatic experiences, but stressors of any kind, including a lot of these pathogens we're talking about can stress the nervous system that way as well. So I, I very often refer people to those kinds of programs. Um, like I said, I really like Dr. Gupta's program because I find that some of the other programs, it's more about removing yourself from any kind of stressor and 
I don't know about you, but I find life is going to throw stress at you no matter what. You have, it's about resilience. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. So developing resilience and I find his program to be especially um, beneficial for that. Excuse me. I have to take a sip of water. No, take, take your time. Yeah. And I, I feel like that that's a very critical aspect of making your body feel safe and on addressing the limbic system, which is yes. just a reptilian part of your brain. That's yeah. Designed. And that can go off from anything. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing that I um, really love and, and have recommended a lot of patients to do is um, EFT work, which is emotional freedom technique, tapping. Some people know it as tapping that can also just really downregulate um, you know, when you're exposed to triggers, because we're all going to be exposed to triggers. I mean, we're living in 2022 and a global, not just the after effects of a pandemic, but political strife and exactly. climate. It's an, it's an ever changing pathogen yeah. too. It's constantly mutating there. It's not something that's ended. It's not going to be eradicated uh, anytime soon. So we do have to find a way to become resilient and adapt. Um, exactly. so these techniques are really critical. Um, what have been some of the, the tools you've used, um, let's say in drainage or other, you know, homeopathics, et cetera, in the post COVID era or the post viral long haulers era, especially a lot of, uh, the folks who get dysautonomic symptoms, which you mentioned yeah. could be dysregulation in heart rate, dysregulation yeah. in blood pressure, yeah. Um, dizziness, et cetera, palpitations. Uh, what have you found to be helpful? And that could even happen after vaccines or et cetera. Like yeah, what have you absolutely. found to work and what would be your approach? Well, it's tough. I'm not going to say, you know, I mean, some people I've had better success with than others. I've got a few long haulers, uh, that have had a really, really rough go of it. Um, but it is all uh, related, well, a lot of it's related to the circulatory issues that you mentioned, the dysautonomia, the POTS, the lightheadedness, the blood pressure dysregulation. So doing a lot of, and that includes lymphatic circulation as well. So doing all the basic things that I mentioned in terms of lymphatic support, you know, exercise tolerance um, is usually quite impaired. So really working slowly and carefully getting people moving again, because, you know, the longer you're sedentary, the more your mitochondria are going to go to sleep, the more inability you will have to get back to a place of resilience. So, um, you, you know, obviously high intensity exercises out of the question for yeah. a lot of people. Um, but, uh, you know, even just moderate things like walking, um, but also using um, drainage remedies specifically for the brain and the nervous system, I use a couple that I find really, really beneficial. Um, and those are mostly complex homeopathics, but I also use, you know, phytotherapy as well. I use things like ginkgo. Um, I use things like um, compression socks, even for improving circulation. I have people um, doing, um, uh, if you can have access to um, PEMF, which is um, pulsed electromagnetic forces. Um, I have a Beamer machine and for anybody that comes and sees me in person, which is only, you know, maybe about 25% of my patients nowadays, I do mostly telemedicine. Um, you know, I put them on the PEMF mat or there's some, uh, 
lesser expensive ones that people have gotten at home. So that can absolutely help move the circulation of both of lymph and of blood. Mm-hmm. Um, have you heard of the the more manual machines like Flopresso? They're kind of like the, or Normatec yeah. is used more for athletes, but they're kind of like these full compression boots that you cover over the legs. But Flopresso, I know uh, Kelly's yeah, work. Of, yeah, Kelly Kennedy yeah. does a lot of work with Flopresso. Yeah, um, I have no personal experience with them, but you know, Kelly's the friend and a colleague and I trust that her work is making an impact in people's lives and beneficial. Um, so yeah, a lot of times it's a matter of resources and, and um, you know, people's ability to have access to these things. So, you know, even something that's free is uh, yoga. <laughs> so you yeah. can do, you know, lymphatic um, specific yoga moves for lymphatic flow for circulation, even something as simple as legs up the wall, you know, where you're just laying and, and creating that pumping action that once you stand up, you know, your lymph is going to go to work. Um, even isometric exercise, if somebody can't do a whole lot of cardio, if that um, creates breathing problems or, you know, muscle fatigue, um, you can do just simple isometric exercises um, that can stimulate lymphatic flow and circulation um, as well. You've also mentioned uh, rebounding, right? Something yeah, called... rebounding is particularly beneficial for lymphatics. Um, there was a study that's probably had been, you know, more than a decade ago now about uh, breast cancer prevention um, and rebounding that like five minutes a day can, you know, lower your uh, risk for breast cancer significantly. And I'm sure that has to do with the effect of moving the lymph. And as I said earlier, the breast tissue is susceptible to toxicity. Um, because there's a lot of fat in the breast and there's a lot of lymph. Um, so these fat soluble toxins that get stored away in the breast tissue can create inflammatory situations where, you know, that can lead to, um, cancer cells, um, for some, you know, some of it's genetic and some of it's, uh, a little more. Well, and what exactly is rebound for people who don't know what that is? Oh, so it's, uh, like a mini trampoline, like any kind mm-hmm. of like rebounding is, um, you know, when you create the muscle, um, contraction by bouncing on a, on Mm -hmm. a trampoline. There seems to be so many iterations of that. Like there are vibration boards, like whole body vibration. vibration. Yeah. 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 I'd love to see some studies behind that. I don't know of any, there probably are some out there. Um, like I said, I have a Beamer, so that's a PEMF unit. Um, so I've looked into the research behind that, but I haven't looked at the vibrational boards, but um, I'm sure some of those are more accessible too. I'm sure they're more affordable than some of the more expensive PEMF units. And I believe the Flopresso is a few thousand dollars as well. So sure. um, it's out of some people's reach. Um, but then also, you know, um, supporting circulation, but also just working with antivirals can be wonderful too. And there's you know, all kinds of um, uh, immune support, you know, with nutritionals, but also herbals. I really love um, some of the Byron White products in particular for um, antiviral uh, approach. And those have to be used carefully. You can definitely overdose and get an aggravation on those. Um, and when I say overdose, I don't mean it in the traditional sense. Yeah. Scare people. <laughs> um, yeah, you're not going to kill yourself, like but off. you're going to get an aggravation. Yeah. Yeah. yeah die off or, or just creating that um, mobilization of the toxins that then is going to trigger, 
the immune system and the nervous system. Um, so yeah, so um, I, I use a lot of those products um, as well. And I've also used um, the LDI a lot. There's a, a upper respiratory mix that I've used for post-COVID. Um, there's an Epstein-Barr mix that I haven't seen as much benefit with um, as some of the other things. But, um, you know, even as I said earlier, it's hard to predict how this virus is going to communicate with other viruses that might be latent in the body or other conditions like chronic Lyme or Bartonella or other things that, you know, might tip the balance. So uh, depending on each person's symptom picture, um, I might use uh, either, you know, an allergy mix or uh, an antigen mix for the... And is, is, are those mixes something that you, you make from the patient's own fluids? Or because I know there are ways in isopathy and homeopathy to use succussed urine, succussed blood. How, do you, how is low-dose immunotherapy different from that? Well, I get my antigens from Dr. Vincent, who has, uh, his company is called Global Immunotherapy, so you can look them up. Um, but you can also do autologous um, LDI preparations from stool, from saliva, from lung secretions, et cetera. I haven't done that yet, just because I haven't found the need for it. Um, I'm getting good results with the combination of drainage and helping people eliminate and then using the more targeted either complex homeopathics or herbs or, uh, you know, elimination methods or detoxification methods for specific problems for people. That's awesome. I know you yeah. mentioned you wanted me to hark back on something you, you mentioned in the beginning about lung support for COVID. You said there were a few things that you wanted to touch on. Yeah, I mean, the um, the LDI is definitely important. I mean, there is an upper respiratory mix that I've used, um, but also, um, you know, things like um, uh, plasters and poultices of various types. Um, you have to be careful with a mustard plaster because it, it can get kind of warm and hot. So people with skin issues, sensitive skin may want to, you know, do that under the supervision of somebody. But um, But also, you know, IR sauna is great. Um, you know, that's really going to be beneficial for the whole system. But um, I find that a lot of people with chronic lung issues do really well with the IR sauna. And, um, you know, that's because it's not just opening the pores and helping you sweat, which is a beneficial thing in and of itself, but it's really helping um, upregulate heat shock proteins, um, which are inside the cell, molecules inside the cell that will then sort of scarf up. Um, misfolded proteins and help the body really come back to a place of homeostasis from a much deeper uh, level. And the IR saunas penetrate about an inch and a half into the subcutaneous fat layer. So it's really getting at some of those, as I mentioned earlier, fat soluble toxins um, that may be a little bit more difficult. And I find sometimes, you know, the lungs are a deep organ, um, they interface with the outside side world, but sometimes it's a, it's harder to get at the lung eliminations than it is say to do, um, you know, a detox or elimination support for the gut. Um, so there are specific complex homeopathics too, that I use for the lungs. Um, and then there's wonderful, wonderful herbal formulas for the lungs as well. Um, one of the things that I use really, um, effectively 
is a Chinese medicine formula that Physica Energetics makes called Temple Warrior. Um, and I used it when I was sick with COVID. Um, and I didn't get super sick, thankfully, but I've also used it for years for any kind of lung issues for helping support eliminations for the lungs. And that's been really a, a great um, a great product for, for me personally in my practice. That's awesome. Have you found nebulizing works with these products? Yeah, people or? like, yeah, people, well, I don't have people nebulize the products, but I have had people to use a nebulizer for glutathione, of course. Okay. Um, and I also, um, I'm working with a, a compounding pharmacy. I'm really hoping that I can get this going, but I'm working on creating some customized um, nasal sprays as well. Um, using things like EDTA and other, um, other, you know, support for the sinuses, because the, I didn't talk about this earlier, but when the primary amongtories are overwhelmed the liver or the gut or the kidney or lung is not working adequately enough, sometimes the body will compensate by using the mucosal membranes to try to eliminate. So that's the sinuses um. or, um, the vaginal tract in women or the skin or like chronic otitis media. So sometimes this is the place that you really need to address um, the eliminations and really help those um, secondary amunctories clear so that the primary amunctories can sort of take over the job. Interesting. Is this, is this Does this segue into the concept of biofilm formation? Is that how this potentially well, that's happens. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think the nasal sprays definitely are, would be addressing biofilms. Um, biofilms are for those listening that don't know, um, ways that bacteria create a protective coating against themselves and sort of turn their, um, antigenic substances inward. So the immune system can't recognize them and eliminate them effectively. So, you know, for biofilms, um, you may want to do, if you suspect a person has, and we all have, again, we all have biofilms. It's like, how much are they impacting your health? So, you know, things like lumbrokinase and natokinase and high dose proteolytic enzymes can help break down that protein coating and EDTA, expose, yeah. yeah, EDTA, exactly. Um, uh, frankincense, essential oil. Um, there's some other, you know, really interesting, um, ways to try to come at biofilms, um, Again, I would say caveat, you know, this is the kind of situation if you start going after biofilms, but if your amunctories aren't working properly and you're not draining properly and you start to get exposure of those toxins or the frank pathogens, if you still have an actual infection, um, then you could get a lot worse before you um, are able to overcome the infection again. So just be careful with that. This, uh, you know, this is so prevalent in in complex chronic illness in terms of mitigating the side effects of treatments unfortunately because the concept of die-off is very nebulous to so many there's no way to quantify it i feel like many things can cause die-off um you know ripping open biofilms uh with standard treatments even ozone uh, killing mold because mold, when it gets killed by any fungals, releases more toxins, more mycotoxins. Absolutely. So, like you mentioned, and just traditional antibiotics, we know people yeah. have can have tremendous reactions to antibiotic therapy. Does do you feel that drainage can help for die-off? Do you feel like that's something that can help mitigate well, the side effects? Yeah, I mean, so that's the whole idea is that the drainage 
is gentle enough that you shouldn't get an aggravation. That's what I'm attempting to do is just work on the body's natural physiological function before I would go after killing anything. And this is why LDI made so much sense to me right out of the gate too. I mean, I've only been using this therapy for about five years now. Um, um, and that, you know, really can make a huge difference if you've got uh, healthy drainage pathways, then you should be less likely to have a reaction. But when people do, I mean, it's inevitable. Some people are going to have an aggravation. Um, that's exactly what I do is just try to support the amongtaries to get rid of the circulating toxin more effectively. So it's almost like you have to sensitize the body first before approaching some of the more invasive therapies so that they, you know, if they do experience die off, they're already, their nerve, you know, their monkeries, things are open, they're more sensitized to it. Is that kind of the way? Yeah, I mean, would... sensitize it, or you could say it desensitized. <laughs> so you yeah, have to desensitize. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Because I think the sensitivity is the hyper reactivity of these various systems. So, yeah. I so see. it's always. It's always a bummer when I aggravate somebody, but you know, over the years it has happened and, um, you know, you just have to try to get through it, um, as quickly as possible and hope the patient doesn't get scared off and think they're going to get worse with every intervention because, you know, there are those folks that have been so sick for so long and they've just, you know, given up hope that there's any chance of getting back to balance without going through hell. So I definitely respect people's, um, you know, needs in that area. And I have a lot of really, really sensitive patients. That's really helpful to know for those listening that there are options and there is a way and there is a road to recovery. Um, I feel the body does have an innate ability to heal. Um, you know, if you just look at the anatomy of a person, it's called a neurovascular bundle. You have lymphs, arteries, nerves, they're all there together. They're part of a, of a holistic system. And I feel this is a very critical step. I often say it's the missing link in therapy is to discuss the amongtaries, to discuss drainage. Um, and that further can help, um, lay the foundation for tolerating more invasive therapies that may or may not be warranted, but really this, this is, is yeah, kind and of in some cases they are, absolutely are. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, it's been great talking to you. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Nash. This has been a very elucidating podcast. You illuminated a lot of critical concepts. Um, we thank you for your time. Do you have any last minute things you want to um, convey to the audience, how they can, uh, find these therapies that you've talked about? How can they um, find you? Um, yeah, well, my website is just my name, Ginger Nash, and there's a couple of spots where you can sign up either for my newsletter. Um, there's a spot if you happen to be a practitioner of natural medicine of any kind, there's a spot to sign up if you want to get more information about the course that I'm going to be teaching. Um, it is going to be case-based learning. It's going to be small. I really want practitioners who are active, bringing their cases and discussing and learning from each other. But um, I'll also be covering a lot of these philosophical concepts and the way to move your patients gently through some of these therapies and get them to a place um, of better balance and health. So I'm really excited. It's been a long time in the works. 
You've been a great cheerleader for me along the way. And I promise it's going to happen in 2023. Awesome. So, awesome. So I'm really excited about that. So, um, and you know, if you go to my website, you can also just email me through my website if you have any more questions. That's awesome. Um, once again, uh, this is another great episode of the Anatara Medicine Podcast, bringing you some of the most innovative advances in medicine and how to treat complex chronic illness. Dr. Nash, thank you for your time. Thank you so much to have so much fun to be here. Thank you. Take care. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.